you're passionate about transforming retail operations and improving performance, plus you're accountable for key change projects and programs in your company, then you're in the right place. Welcome to the Retail Transformation Show with me, Oliver Banks. Hello and welcome to the Retail Transformation Show. I am Oliver Banks, your host, and as always, I am delighted to be your guide to help you successfully transform your retail operations and operating models. This one is episode 136. Now, you know, sustainability is a hot topic in the world of retail. And today I wanted to dive into a part of sustainability that is going to be so important as we continue to drive towards saving our planet. And that is around the circular economy. Now, the circular economy, I'm sure you may have heard about it. And it's arguably one of those buzzwords, I think, that risks being thrown around without people perhaps understanding exactly what it is. And so that's what I wanted to do today. I wanted to explore more about the circular economy and what it means for retail and retailers. And to guide the way, I'm excited to introduce you to today's special guest, Karen Bendel. Karen is a creative, an innovator, a thinker and a strategist. She's an experienced CEO and independent consultant who specialises in working with multi-channel luxury and premium brands, particularly in the world of fashion, and those who also particularly need a bit of help with digital or operational change to help grow or survive. From starting out initially as a fashion designer, she's worked in a number of different roles, ultimately up to being a fashion retailer CEO at New and Lingwood. So she's had a wide-ranging and an exciting career and has a unique ability to analyse and comprehend business models and problems. And given her background, she also has been exposed to a number of different aspects from product design through to sales to manufacturing to project management. So she takes a valuable holistic approach drawing on her varied experiences and combining this with her innovative and creative thinking. And Karen is very passionate about sustainability and the circular economy in particular. And with her 25 years of experience of working with ethical supply chains, she's also spent the last year getting her head down and understanding the circular economy, what it means and how to go about doing it a whole lot more. So Karen makes the perfect guest to explore more about this topic. Show notes for today are going to be at obandco.uk slash 136. Also, hot news, Retail Transformation Live is back. This is my virtual event where we're going to be diving deep into the world of retail transformation. What's going on in a changing post-pandemic world? What it means for your operating model? and how to go about making your transformation a huge success. So do join us live. Find out a whole lot more at retailtransformation.live and register for free, retailtransformation.live. Now let's get into this. Here is my conversation with Karen. So today I'm really glad to be joined by Karen Bendel. Karen, how are things? Very good, thank you very much. Well, it's awesome to be here and we're, we're diving into a topic that I don't know a huge amount about, but I, I recognise that and I want to learn a lot more. But I know you know a huge amount about it and, well, you've been on a learning journey yourself, which perhaps we'll get into. But today we're going to be diving into 
the circular economy and what that means for, for retail and for retailers and for the wider world as well. But let's just all get onto the same page, Karen. What are we talking about when we're talking about circular economy? A circular economy, first of all, thank you very much for having me on, on to talk about this. But for, for me, a circular economy is an economy which cuts out waste. It's where the same resources are used again and again continuously. Mm. So it's a sort of regenerative process. And it is not the same as the current linear model that we use, all of us use, where we take, we make, and then we dispose of, of the item, particularly fashion. Yep. And as we all know, it's not really working any longer for, for people or for the environment. I mean, just to give you a statistic, we have something like 2.7 tonnes of textile waste a year, um, of which only about 29% is actually used for recycling. When I say used for recycling, a large percentage of that would even go into landfills. So it's not, mm. it's not that it's actually reused, which I think is something a lot of people really don't appreciate. Wow. And as an industry, it accounts for 4% of greenhouse gases and 20% of industrial pollution around the planet. So it's significant enough to want to see how we could do things a little bit differently. Definitely. Well, I mean, it's, it, those are quite scary numbers, right? You know, 20%. But let me just explore something. We, we touched on fashion there, you know, arguably the villain mm -hmm. of sustainability, fast fashion and so on. Is it only fashion or other categories there? You know, I'm thinking electronics, I'm thinking food. What are your thoughts? immediately you start to get a bit complicated because that's exactly <laughs> the problem. It's that just about every industry, it takes, it makes, and then it chucks out. That's how we, we do it. I think the agricultural industry, food, has become a little bit further ahead. But the difference, the, the, the fundamental difference is the circular system is not a linear system. It's not a linear model. And the objective is to have a circular model. But what we're really doing at the moment is optimizing the linear model right? by putting in accreditations and marks and improvements. So a lot of the, a lot of the activity at the moment is very much around improving our current model. We're sort of polishing a turd, are we? Yeah, well, I just, I mean, you can't throw, you can't just change the world's economy overnight, can you? So of course it's <laughs> going to be like that. But I think it's quite important to realise the two things are actually fundamentally different economic systems. Mm. And moving from one to another is, you know, quite a process. And it happens across electrical goods, you know, that whole thing about how should we be repairing them instead of, instead of throwing them into landfills? Should we be leasing them so that the people that own them have some kind of skin in the game? What about agriculture, reducing the pollution so that the water that comes back round doesn't have to be reprocessed? So it really covers yep. everything. And I'm certainly not an expert on the whole package. I'm just interested. I, I mean, to be honest, it started because of my one of my last roles at New and Lingwood. We were trying to get rid of. I wanted to get wooden hangers into the store. Yep. And we only had three stores, so I thought this is this has got to be doable. We can we can get rid of the the plastic, not for shipping and everything. But my goodness me, it turned into something that became almost impossible, which is ridiculous. I mean, 
And that's that's where I started the journey. Let's just unpack this a little bit, if that's okay, Karen. Oh, sure. You were CEO there. How can it be so complicated to get wooden hangers in? So, uh, yeah, I mean, how how can it be so complicated? I, I mean, to be fair, I was was there because it was in a in a uh, turnaround situation, mm-hmm. and the store refit had been completed without the hangers which had originally been planned. But what I wanted to do was find some wooden hangers that we could use in the shops because the product is was was luxury. So you you know, a plastic hanger wasn't really appropriate. Yes. But it was just very difficult to find the volume at the price. And even when the team managed to come up with some hangers, the hanger supplier couldn't tell me where the wood was coming from. Mm. So it was it was just seemed daft i mean if you're to your point as ceo if you can't actually find out if you can't put a wooden hanger in a friend of mine at that stage managed to put all the plastic hangers in debenham she managed to get going round and round and i couldn't even get a wooden hanger in the shop so either i'm daft or, or it just was <laughs> it was just weirdly complicated which it's interesting when you start to then question you know where does the wood come from you know i can imagine the suppliers going no one's ever asked me right and and then they're like, I don't know what to, to say about that. And I think this is probably the, the challenge that as an entire industry, a full end-to-end supply chain, we've got to now head into in terms of visibility and traceability and everything we've just described, right? I absolutely come down to sort of unpacking that, uh, which I'll, I'll talk about now, actually. Mm. One thing that impressed me recently, there are lots of people giving out lots of information Unpacking that is complicated as well. But the business of fashion recently, and I do like their magazine, I think it was in March, published a an index on how they felt the industry was, uh, was um, stacking up against its objectives to become more sustainable. Yes. And they divided the report. I don't know if you saw it. They divided the report into transparency, emissions, water and chemicals, materials, workers' rights and waste. And then they took five of the top global businesses in luxury, high street and sport, and then compared them against them. Yes. And what was interesting was this transparency, which is, do you know your tier one supplier? Do you know your tier two supplier? Do you know your tier three supplier? And have you a clue about your tier four supplier? (laughs) Which is, to your point, the tier four supplier being the, the forest. Yep. But it was it was interesting that there was a lot more activity around the transparency, which is sometimes viewed as sustainability mm. rather than things like workers' rights, which were pitiful and which we've been talking about for years, you know, modern slavery, mm. unionization, you know, all of those different those different aspects. So I, I liked that document mm. because I thought it was a good place to start the conversation and to start the judging. HSBC did a deep dive into ESG in April, mm-hmm. and that was very much focused on sustainability. It didn't really go into the emissions and things like that. So it is quite interesting where people start, how people evaluate it, and what they consider to be the problem in the first place. Yeah, that makes sense. So so let's pull out a couple of case studies, if that's okay, Karen. Who's who's doing this right now? Who's doing the circular economy in a in the world of retail right now and doing a good job, by the uh, way? Well, no one. No one no is one. doing okay. it. Well. Okay, so... <laughs> Must try harder. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's great when a big, a large organisation tries to do things better. 
Mm. I mean, we could take Stella McCartney. She's been in caring group for years. Caring is one of the leaders in luxury. They produced this um, environmental PL, which they did with PWC to actually measure on their PL the impact of their environmental activities, which I think is, you know, when you start measuring things like that at that board level, yes. you can start to get some change. Now she's in part of uh, Richemont, I think, which is not doing at all well in that. And and her view is, well, now I've, I've got a seat at the table and I can start to affect some change. And her own brand has developed over the years from being, I just won't use leather and I'm a vegetarian, mm-hmm. to now she will only use recycled cashmere. And she's starting, you know, so she's really, it, it's incremental steps all the way through. So she's I think a good example of a brand that has a voice in this platform. She's not circular. Mm. Paper, recycling your paper. You know, recycling sounds like a great word, but it also means that you have to use energy to recreate something into something else. So yes. there's a an element of how do you balance the equations? When you pull this lever, something else gets kicked out and where's the compromise and is it worth it? Mm. On the on the larger organizations, I think H&M yep. experiments with a lot of things. I think we all agree. I mean, they've got a lot of big problems, but they, they've they made a, a commitment to becoming better by probably 2030, which seems to be the date everyone likes because it's far enough in the distance <laughs> not to worry. But, and Levi's, Nike, I mean, you know, the usual suspects, really. Mm. And I think what H and M are doing that's really great is their 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 loop machine, uh, loop with three O's, where they are reclaiming and recycling and remanufacturing. Uh, I think they're only focused on woolen woolen products at the moment, but in store, being able to like I say, reclaim and remanufacture a new woolly jumper, which I think is is just brilliant. It's you know maybe not scalable. I don't know. I haven't looked into it. That would be my gut feel, but. It brings awareness to what the future could hold, right? That feels exciting to me. You've hit the nail on the head because I went. I was in Selfridges the other day, and uh, and I was looking at they. You know, they seem to have ticked every single box from you know sustainability through to recycling, through to hiring, reselling. You know, all this kind of all of the things that we know are on trend, mm-hmm. and. But one could argue that they're also placed to educate. Yep. You know, that's important, isn't it? Because if you don't educate, then we don't know. So H&M encourage you to take back your stuff and you put it in a box and your assumption as a consumer is that they are recycling. (laughs) Yes. I I went, I did a quick look around the Boohoo in the style websites and they're all very proudly telling me that they use this app called Regain, mm-hmm. where you zap your clothes and you pop it in an envelope and off it goes to the never never. And then they give you credits, which you can spend against it. Well, when you actually root down to find out where Regain comes from, it's a recycling company in the, in the Midlands. And I've seen with my own eyes up at Trade in North London, you know, that, that, that's a charity, this pile for the, for the shop. That Primark outfit in nasty nylon, it's never even used. It just goes straight into a container where it's sold by weight to a processor and 
that processor will give you whatever price he wants for it. Yep. And it will either go to be incinerated or to be landfilled. A small percentage may go to markets elsewhere, but most of it. So you look at their websites and you think, you know, we and they are lovely green pages which tell you all about the amazing, mm. you know, initiatives they've got on sustainability and how important it is. But all they're doing is pushing it down the, the chain. Unfortunately, I think that H&M, a lot of probably what they're collecting is doing the same. However, they are also trying lots and lots of small things to see like the, like your your point to the recycling of wool mm. and i think that's that's really interesting and without experimenting you're never going to find a solution is my view I so totally every small agree. initiative aside from the fast fashion people well, i mean i guess at some <laughs> point someone's going to find value in that clothing as well aren't they but I, you know i think it's it's education as much as anything there's elements of training the consumer to be able to stuff the used clothes into an envelope and post it off or whatever. Mm. But then there's also the closing the loop piece, right? Well, I, I think what I'm hearing from you is we're a long way from closing the loop, but it's it's about moving different parts of the loop and so levelling them up. So, okay, we've got a good steady supply of clothes. Let's try not to burn them now and try to do something with them. Yeah. And then you, you can you can continue on and it will form the next, next round of, of initiatives, right? So for me, there's two... There's two parts of that. So first of all, most of the problems are created when you design something. Mm. So, And designers are amazing. So I think with the right parameters, designers would not have any problem designing beautiful products. I mean, a lot of initiatives are very earnest clothing, aren't they, that you don't really want to wear? But I think there's a there's no reason why it can't they can't be exciting. I mean, Stella McCartney, mm. there's a good example. Her clothes yeah. are, are certainly not dull. Um, so I think starting at that point, you've then got a problem with how do you think it's going to finish its life, and that's how that then helps you decide whether you want to use a blended fiber. Because if you use a blended fiber, much harder for it to finish its life because you can't separate them out. So. So you've got a design thing which is going on, which is an area to focus on quite significantly at the moment, which I don't think is probably getting enough attention. Yes. The other end, which is getting quite a lot of attention because it's potentially a bit easier to solve, is the longer you keep an item of clothing going round and round and round, the more efficient it is for the planet. Yes. So resale, hire, subscription, recycling to an extent. But all of those new initiatives that people are trying, I think, are are really interesting as well. And those are seeming to start taking some traction, you know. That's interesting. So I, I did a poll on LinkedIn uh, a few weeks ago now, quite a few weeks ago, which was looking at some of these new business models like, you know, resale and, and, and hire and subscription boxes and so on. And uh, I'm, I'm summarising some of the feedback that I got, but it's essentially around a lot of these new business models Maybe you get a bit more use out of it, but you're set, you're replacing that with vans driving all around and lots of lots of other environmental impact. So actually, the thought was, and again, don't have the data here in front of me. The thought is, it's not so sustainable. Okay, I don't know where I read this, and I can't remember. And I did try to find it, but I know that somewhere I was reading that most of the environmental impact of an item happens in its initial manufacturing and production so whether you're growing the forest 
whether you're growing the cotton. Yep. And it's um, it was it was talking about brands or shops or something, and it was really saying, you know, change your light bulbs, recycle your paper. That's not really where the problem is. Yeah. It's it that, that's not to mean one shouldn't be trying to improve that as well. But the problem is further back down the chain. Mm. That is an argument. That's an argument I heard about five years ago. Someone was talking about if you send something in a nice big box, you're far less likely to get a return than if you send it in a plastic bag. Mm. However, if you can send it in a recycled plastic bag that you can reuse and reuse, and that doesn't take up much space in the the, uh, in the container or the van or whatever, mm. then you're not shipping lots of air around. Yes. And uh, you, there's your dilemma on a plate, isn't it? Mm. Really? Well, I think the whole area is full of complications and conflicting bits of data and, and lots of opinion as well, right? <laughs> Which all, all adds to the complication. And, yeah. and ultimately, what I believe is a huge contradiction for sustainability and retail in as much as the retail business model, the classic retail business model is to sell stuff. Yeah. And yet sustainability at its very essence is let's reduce the amount of stuff we use. Yeah. <laughs> and for me, I love uh, I love fashion. So it's for me, it's not about changing my habit. Mm. I don't want to change. So I think that clothes enable you to dress up. They enable you to, to uh, feel good about yourself. They yes. enable you to refresh your life, whatever it might be. So the idea that you build an emotional attachment to an item of clothing and have it for, for 20 years, well, I have got some of those in my wardrobe. But jeepers, if I had to have the same wardrobe for 20 years, I think I'd probably <laughs> shoot myself. So I think there is – so that's why I think these resale models are quite interesting because they're not saying to be a good, sustainable person, you know, you need to change your habits. They're saying keep – buying clothes keep we'll keep enjoying clothes keep changing your wardrobe keep going out to events but we're going to help you that long dress that you'll wear once mm. just rent it and then someone else can wear it and then someone else can wear it and then someone else can wear it yep for me that has to be part of it yeah it's the it's the baby steps right i'm talking to a spanish tech platform at the moment who have a merchandising system which is um designed to reduce the amount that you buy and optimize your sell through and i i can see where a retailer would want that but you're st it, but you you are coming back to the fact that we probably don't well we can't afford to keep making as much as we're making mm, exactly so let's bring this back in terms of helping people get some get some action and do something differently how how should you go about defining your circular economy given that we have a, a linear approach at the moment for me, the first place to start is to see what you've got. Yep. And I think to the HSBC report and to BOF, what is it, being transparent about your tier one, tier two, most people can do tier two, and then seeing if you can work back to tier three and tier four. So if, if you were TM Lewin, yep. obviously shirt fabric is probably your biggest fabric thing. So mm -hmm. where So start with the cotton in that. Where's that come from? would be traceable first of all and then I would understand what I'd got and then how to um how to move forward from there mm. and and there are numerous different marks and accreditations you can get for using Gotts Cotton or for I don't know the Higgs Index, Beak or all of those things which are great they're again propping up the old system 
But I think continually measuring, you know, if you can start on one of those and continually measure your improvement as you go forward, rather than just ticking the box, yeah, got that. So I don't need to worry about that anymore. Mm. I mean, I would start with one thing. I would audit to see what I got. And then I would look at what I got and decide. So for New and Lingwood, you could potentially say they should have looked at reselling or hiring or something. It's a luxury product. It can be fitted. It's a man's piece of tailoring. So could they be part of turning it round and round and round? Yes. And what would the economics of that look like? Because, again, you need to do some number crunching as well Mm. to see where the opportunities lie, I think. What are your thoughts on the economics of it? Does it does it wash its face or is it take one for the team, so to speak? I don't think it does at the moment because it's not developed enough. I mean, there are some much smaller brands who have got much further than the bigger ones because obviously they started with that in mind rather mm. than trying to transform, which obviously is is easier. But I mean, I'll take Pangaea, which is in the windows of Selfridges at the moment. So they see themselves as a new technology company and they're developing new fibers and bio-based fabrics and mycelium-based fabrics and things like that mm. to which are you know water saving biodegradable and all the rest of it but you know that that technology costs it's a bit like your tesla mm. you know he's not giving that away for for nothing because the technology is expensive so having fully traceable supply chains sheep inc is another one they you can t- they can tell you what woolly sheep you've come off in new zealand <laughs> <laughs> waste wear will turn your fridge into pellets and then turn it into a flea. So lots of people are doing lots of things, but it's expensive because it's new. And yep. then is it scalable is the next thing. Mm. And I think another thing to really remember about the recycling of fiber is every time you reprocess a, a natural fiber, wool, cotton, whatever, you shorten it so it becomes less less luxury for want of a better word so a lot of recycling is downcycling Mm. and i think when you downcycle for almost a new thing that that's completely different then that probably works better than trying to turn it back into the same as it was if that makes sense yeah so rather than getting the trousers and finding out you've got less and less material so slowly it comes shallots and then shorts (laughs) you start with a an Italian pair of chinos and you land up with you know some really rough thick fabric mm. from the market you know because it's it, the fibers got yeah. shorter and shorter until eventually you're wearing a tote bag <laughs> on your legs which may be perfectly fine in in certain I mean jean actually that's a really good thing to mention jeans uh denim is one of the areas which is managing to recycle slightly better because it's not got so many mixed fibers in with it right yep and it's, it's such an enormous market. And I guess, you know, it's one of the, again, one of the villains, right, of the world of sustainability in terms of the amount of water it takes and so on. Yeah. Well, it's cotton. Mm. There are um, denim companies that are using mm. far less water in their processes. But again, you know, the machinery costs more. Mm. And you probably want traceable cotton. If you want traceable cotton, then. Again, that's probably more complicated because you're having to buy it from a certain market. And I think if you're doing small volumes, it's easier. You know, when I was uh, with Dewhurst as a manufacturer, I was doing trousers with Marks and Spencers. I mean, we buy half a million meters of a cotton. I mean, how the hell do we know where all of I can't even imagine that the, the supplier yep. knew where 100. Well, of course they would if you actually asked them, but 
can they, if they went to market, if they needed to make those kind of volumes, then, and that X wasn't available, they couldn't get the BCI cotton that they wanted, would, would they quite want to say? Yeah. <laughs> I I think we all perfectly understand <laughs> what you're saying there. Yes, yeah. for sure. I mean, this has been a, a really interesting conversation, and yeah, I, I feel like I, my eyes have been opened. How can people find out more, and how can people find out more about you, Karen, and get in touch as well? So they can, uh, well, they can find out more about me on LinkedIn, and I'm very, very happy to have conversations about doing these initial audits and trying to understand where the opportunities are. Um, and I'm great at managing change in organisations, which I think trying to do things differently is is often requires some empathy with how a retail or a brand works. Mm. From a point of view of how to find out more. Ella MacArthur's foundation is all about circularity across everything. And that's an interest, a very interesting resource, I think. And I, I'm also a great fan of the, um, the global fashion agenda, which was the Copenhagen Fashion Summit, partly because they have policy, whether these policymakers are able to do policy or not is, is, is a different, you know, actually drive change is a different question. But I'm a firm believer, unless you've got the right people round the table, you're not going to really affect a change in the way the whole industry mm. works. So those would be large organizations. And then after that, I mean, I particularly like the B Corps mm-hmm. organization. I'm fascinated by how that's more of a social enterprise model where you're giving back. It's a more of a non-for-profit model, but that that's something that I particularly feel is interesting. And then keeping an eye on these big corporations, the H&Ms, the Carings, and mm. seeing what they're up to. There's so much information, it's really hard to, yes. to um, digest it. That's part of the reason I did the circularity course on, on edX, because I wanted to understand where academic thinking was on this topic. Yes. And I did. I, I think it's really interesting. And, you know, you, you mentioned it just a couple of minutes ago. If this is a true transformation that we are talking about, you know, real fundamental back to a plain sheet of paper and restarting, right? And yeah, we haven't even we haven't even touched on that whole side of it, right? But I'm sure if people have got questions about how to go about doing that or need some help, then uh, I'm sure they can reach out to you on LinkedIn, right? Yeah. Perfect. That's probably the easiest place. Perfect. I'll leave you with one, one thought, actually, which I found uh, I was listening to the Global Fashion Agenda had a, a, an event a couple of weeks ago, and there was a gentleman from um, Line Sing on there, uh, and he said, he used mud jeans as an example, and he said, when it comes to the money, you know, mud jeans are using recycled denim. That denim has already had that paid on it already when it was mm. sold the first time, and yet we still want to collect that on it when it's sold the second time. And it would be interesting to have more initiatives that not created a level playing field, but took into account how how some of these economics had happened. Mm. And I thought that was such an interesting point because I'd never, never crossed my mind. But, you know, if you are using a recycled fabric, why should you have to pay mm. duty on it twice? 
for the same resource. So there you go. That's my free takeaway. <laughs> that's a huge, huge thought just to drop drop in there at the end. So yeah, thank you for that. I, yeah, it's, it, it makes you think actually in terms of how the entire industry, you know, retailers, suppliers, governments, and 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 lots of other companies as well, all play into this full transformation of, of everything, which is to, to the point you made earlier on, right? Mm. Everyone needs to get around the table to talk about this rather than sitting in a dark cupboard and hoping you can find it out by yourself, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, thank you so much, Karen. It's been a really enjoyable conversation. And uh, thank you very much for coming on to the Retail Transformation Show. You are very welcome anytime. So I do hope you enjoyed that conversation there with Karen. It certainly gave me some different thoughts and viewpoints, as well as a different perspective on sustainability as a whole. Do check out the show notes if you want to get in touch with Karen, obandco.uk slash 136. And I'm also going to put some links on there to some interesting documents and resources, some of which Karen mentioned as well. Plus, whilst you're over there, you can sign up for the Retail Transformation Briefing as well where you'll stay in touch with key headlines from the world of retail transformation. And it is interesting. I'm certainly starting to see more and more circular economy initiatives coming through from the likes of Nike, Adidas, H&M and Ikea. So do sign up for the Retail Transformation Briefing. But if you would like some more episodes to listen to right now, then here are a couple of recommendations for you. Firstly, Episode 66, which was called Profit V's Planet, The Future of Retail. So episode 66, and then more recently, episode 134, which was called The Race to Retail Resilience, featuring Carl Boutte. And in that particular episode, we explored a concept called the sustainability flywheel. I won't tell you too much about it, but do go and tune in to episode 134 or check out Carl's book, The Great Acceleration. I'd love to hear what your thoughts are on this particular episode, so do feel free to reach out oliver.banks at obandco.uk or you can find my email on the show notes. Once again, that's obandco.uk slash 136. And also another quick reminder about Retail Transformation Live, my virtual event where we're going to be diving deep into the world of retail transformation and exploring what's happening in the changing post-pandemic world, what that means for your operating model, and how to go about making that transformation a huge success. This time round, it's on the 6th, the 7th, and the 8th of July 2021. Register for free at retailtransformation.live. We're going to have a host of speakers, a host of sessions, and some fun networking. All virtual, of course. But perhaps you and I could connect and turn our normal one-way conversation into a two-way conversation for once. It would be great to meet up and I hope to see you there at Retail Transformation Live. So once again, do register for free, retailtransformation.live and tell your friends, your colleagues, your peers, your team, and hey, even invite your cat and dog and maybe your kids as well. (laughs) Hope to see you there. We're wrapping this one up right now. So thanks for tuning in once again. And I look forward to joining you on another episode of the Retail Transformation Show coming at you very soon. Bye for now.